Good morning. So my name is Pastor Donnie, for those of you who don't know me, and uh, if you're a guest with us here today, I just want to put this out on the front end, I'm not usually the person doing this. But if you like it, come back next week. If you don't, you still have to come back next week, because then you get to hear Pastor Steve, okay? So, so you're caught both ways, all right? Well, I'm excited about this morning, appreciate Pastor Steve giving me the chance to, to speak here today. Um, but wow, uh, I don't know if you can believe it, but 2019... It's just two days away, 2019. And so for some of you, that seems like at one point in your life it was very futuristic. Uh, for others, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, but it's another year behind us, right, and another new beginning. And as we often do during this time of the year, perhaps you've, you've kind of thought about what this new year might bring for you and for your family. You know, what might it look like? Uh, will it be a f- year filled with, with perhaps major changes or just kind of the same old stuff? Uh, will we experience unexpected blessings or maybe unexpected loss? Will it be a year dealing with conflict or will it be a year more filled with peace? And more than likely, it's going to be a year with all of those things, right? Uh, good and bad in one form or another. The bottom line is this, as we, as we think about a new year, as we look forward to 2019, we have no clue what's coming, right? We, we just don't. Uh, we just don't. We have no clue what's going to come our way. So no matter how much we try and plan or prepare, um, no matter what our resolutions might be, we really can't control what's coming, right? I mean, that's... Isn't that what resolutions are and plans are? They're, they're, they're us trying to control, right? Or they're us trying to control what things are going to look like. And that's not all bad. Um, but the bottom line is, ultimately, we're not in control. And we don't know what this year um, might, might have for us. So, so what do we do? How do we approach a year that, in truth, we have no idea how to prepare for? You know, I think here's, here's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. This is something that God's just kind of been bringing to my mind a lot lately. Um, and so hopefully I can just share it with you this morning. Is that we make it our goal to just allow God to grow us no matter what we might face. That it's not about controlling what will or won't happen, but just allowing God to grow us no matter what we might face. That we'd commit to a, a year, really a lifetime, of just being transformed so that when we can go out and transform the the world around us for Jesus. So I want you to take a minute and think about last year, okay? So really do this as I kind of talk through this. 2018, ask yourself some of these questions. Do I know God better right now than I did one year ago? Do I know God better right now than I did one year ago? Uh, Another way to put it, you might say, is my relationship with God stronger than it was when 2018 began? Maybe you could ask, what lessons has God taught me throughout the year? What do I understand about God now that I didn't last year? Uh, How do I look more like Jesus than I did a year ago? And so as you might think through those questions, um, you know, do I look more like God than I did last year? Whether the answer for this year is a resounding yes, a definite no way, or somewhere in the middle, uh, God wants each and every one of us to just know him better at this time next year than we do this year. 
than we do right now. And so this morning, what I want us to do is we're going to take a, a look at the life of Abraham. He's one of my favorite characters in all scripture. And we're going to look at just a handful of stories from his life, many of which you probably might be familiar with, some you might not. But as we do, I want to try and avoid the temptation to, to look at these things as individual events. But I want us to kind of back away, look at the big picture of Abraham's life and try and kind of zoom out and look at them as a whole and how God used uh, these events. Now, obviously, as we work through Abraham's life, we can't go into detail about all of it, but I believe he, he is a really great example of just a life of constant growth, um, a life of just constant growing to know God more. And we're going to see him faced with all kinds of situations throughout his lifetime, but one thing that was pretty constant was that he grew in his understanding of who God was and what it meant to follow him. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, if you don't mind. The first thing we really need to understand is where Abraham's journey starts. Now, when I mention the name Abraham, if you've been around church world for very long, you probably have a pretty positive view of who this guy is, right? Uh, we usually think of him as a very godly man, a uh, very um, faithful man, a man of faith. And usually we think of his story actually as beginning in Genesis chapter 12. But we actually are introduced for, to him for the first time in the very end of Genesis chapter 11. And so we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. So right here, end of Genesis 11, into the beginning of Genesis 12, uh, just to give you a little context, it takes place about 400 years after the events of the flood, after Noah and the flood. In those 400 years, though, a lot had changed, and not for the good. We started off after the flood, we had one family, and they all knew the one true God. When those 400 years, as, as uh, families grew and, and people were born, now there are hundreds of families, and not many of them knew the true God. In fact, uh, we aren't told specifically about a single individual from Noah to Abraham who prayed, who served God, who maybe made an offering to God. Now, that doesn't mean nobody did, but we just aren't, we aren't aware of any of those kind of things happening. In fact, really the only story we have in Scripture from the time of the flood to the time of Abraham is the Tower of Babel. And that's not a good story, right? That's a story about when people came together and basically said, hey, God said to spread out and fill the earth. Well, we're all going to come together and do our own thing. And we're going to build this tower, and we're going to make a name for ourselves, and everyone's going to say, hey, how awesome are they? Um, but God says, no, that, that's not what I have for you guys. And so he comes in and he confuses the languages. And so people do what he said eventually, right? And they spread out. And as these families spread out, they kind of come up with their own cultures. And eventually it kind of devolves into their own uh, false religions and different things like that. So right after that story, we're given this genealogy and we're introduced to this guy, Abraham, for the first time. So in Genesis chapter 11, Verse 27, it says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, whose name later would be changed to Abraham. Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, um, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren, and she had no child. And so we're introduced to Abraham right here in Genesis chapter 11. And so we're not really given a whole lot about their family right here. And we might think, well, you know what? Even though most people in the world weren't following God, most people in the world didn't know who the true God was. Maybe Abraham's family was the exception. 
Maybe they're one of the few faithful. Well, we don't have time to turn there this morning, but Joshua 24.2 gives us a little bit more information about Abraham's family. And Joshua says this. It says, And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah. We just saw him, right? That's Abraham's dad. The father of Abraham and of Nahor. And they served other gods. So Abraham did not come from a family of faith. He did not come from a family who was serving God. They were serving idols. We know Abraham's family were idol worshipers. Now, more than likely, they were part of a culture that actually worshipped the moon god. Uh, That was kind of what was very common in that part of the world. And actually, the name Sarah and Milcah are both names strongly connected to moon god worship. And so, more than likely, this guy, who we often think of as a pillar of the faith, started off worshiping the moon. Probably for the first 75 years of his life. And I want us to understand this because I think sometimes we impose our knowledge backwards on the story. And we take Abraham that we know, and we kind of insert that way back at the beginning, and that's not where he started. We view Abraham as this spiritual giant. We kind of label him as this godly character, and we kind of look at everything through that lens And we think, oh, I could never be like that. But when we understand that he began as an ungodly moon worshiper, that that changes things, right? It gives us a new perspective on what we're about to see happen. And it might even give us a little bit of hope in our own brokenness. So what about you? Starting in 2019, right at the beginning of the year, would you say, well, I'm a spiritual giant. I'm, I'm a super godly man. I'm a super godly woman. No? Well, you're in good company, because as we'll see, God is very good at taking people that aren't and transforming them uh, if we're willing to let him. So how does God do it? How does he take someone who worships the moon God and turn him into the pillar of faith that we often think of uh, when we think of Abraham? How does he transform us? How does he change us? How does he grow us? The answer, of course, is in all kinds of ways, really. There's, There's no way we could cover them all. But this morning, I want to look at a couple examples in Abraham's life. Um, the things that, some of the things that he experienced, there's a good chance you'll experience even this year. Uh, things that God used to transform him, and that if we allow God to do so, he wants to use them to transform us. So how does God transform Abraham? I want to look quickly at five things here this morning. The first one is right here in chapter 12. Uh, he invites him into a personal relationship. Uh, God invites Abraham into a personal relationship with him. And this is where we're going to start because this is right where Abraham starts. And it's also where things have to start with us. We can't grow in a relationship with God that we don't have, right? Uh, That's impossible. Um, And to this point in Abraham's life, he didn't have one. Now, I'm sure he had plenty of knowledge about other gods and perhaps even a little bit of knowledge about the one true God. Maybe he'd heard stories, but he didn't know him. And then one day, the true God shows up with an invitation. Go ahead and look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, uh, go from your country and your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. So God here invites Abraham to have a personal relationship with him. He says, Abraham, I've come to you specifically. I have a specific plan for your life. I have a specific blessing for you. Now, of course, in order to accept this invitation, 
Abraham has to leave his old life behind. That was the first command. It says, go from your country, from your kindred or your family, from your father's house. You, you can't keep doing what you're doing and have this relationship with me. You can't keep worshiping these other gods and worship me at the same time. And that's what he, and as we'll see, that's what he chooses to do. But I think sometimes when we think about God, we, we think about him, we think about God like this, like huge, right? And he is. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Um, he's everywhere present. He's the supreme creator. He, we've sung, we sung it earlier, forever reigns, right? He's in charge. And those things are all true. Scripture shows us those things very clearly. But let's also not miss that God is also personal. He's also personal. Um, if you read through verses 1 through 3 again, notice how many times God says, you or your, right? He, this is not just a general call. Hey, whoever wants to do this, come on. No, he goes to Abraham specifically and he says, I want you and I have specific promises for you. And here's what I need you to do. And here's what I'm going to use you for. God is so personal. He, he promises Abraham three things. He promises him a land and he'd make him into a nation and he'd be a blessing to the whole world. And this idea is reflected all over scripture that God is personal. He wants, to be, he wants us to be personally directed by him. And that's why for us it's so important to make sure that we have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Um, God's invitation to us is, is pretty similar to Abraham's. Leave all that other stuff behind. Trust me and me only. Uh, Alexis read it earlier. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It's, it's exclusive. We can't have Jesus and. It's got to be Jesus only. And so as we head here into 2019, the first question that I want to just directly ask is, do you have that personal relationship with Jesus? Have you ever accepted him as your Savior? Because that's where it begins. You know, if you haven't, maybe today. Let's get it done in 2018 before we even get to 2019. But that's where it starts. And I, I love this because Abraham had nothing before. He didn't come from a uh, godly heritage. He, didn't, he wasn't doing the right thing. God just showed up and said, hey, are you willing to start? And as we see here uh, in verse 4, it says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. And it kind of describes their journey and if you jump over to verse 8, it says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Aon on the east. And it says, And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And if you look at the, in your Bible there, the Lord is probably in all capitals. That means he called on the name of Yahweh. This wasn't just a general God. He was, he was talking to God personally, the true God specifically. And from what we understand, this is probably the first time he has ever done that. It's probably the first time he's ever done that. This is where his journey, his relationship with God starts. And so if you're here today and you don't know that you have that, come talk to me after the service. We would love to just show you what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's where it all begins. And of course, begins means just that. It's, it is just the beginning. God continues and he has so much more for us. And so... If you do have that relationship with Jesus, okay, how's God going to grow us this year? Well, probably one way he's going to grow you is through your mistakes. I have some bad news. If you didn't know this, you are going, there are going to be times this year where you mess up. You blow it. You're going to fail. You're going to sin. And so will I. And so will I. 
You know, I wish 2019 could be like the year of perfection for me, but I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm quite there. Uh, it's not going to. We're going to mess up, but so did Abraham. Um, the good news is the, that we serve a God who doesn't waste those things. He doesn't waste our mistakes. He doesn't waste our failures because if we're willing to let him, he wants to use those things to help us grow. So Abraham, we saw he starts off strong, beginning this personal relationship with God. He, he leaves his country, he obeys. He builds this altar. Um, then life hits. A test comes. And Abraham, uh, he fails pretty epically, actually. All right. So look at, look at verse 10 of chapter 12. Now there's a famine in the land, and so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he's about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah's wife, I know that you're a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it might go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman, asked, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house, and for her sake, uh, he dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So as we read through that story, probably the most obvious thing uh, that jumps out is the lie, right? He's lying about his wife. He's, he's, he's lying out of fear because he's afraid that they think she's hot and she's going to want to marry her. So the only way they can do that is kill him. So that's, that's basically the story, okay? Um, sounds like a Lifetime movie or something. But I think we would all agree that that lie, he shouldn't have done that. That's a no-no. Uh, but I think there's actually a lot more to it than that. I think it shows us that at this point in his life, deep down, um, Abraham doesn't really trust God. He doesn't really trust him. Uh, keep in mind what had just transpired. God had called him to a land, promised to give him possession of that land, and that the first sign of trouble, Abraham bails. Remember, he said, I'm going to take you to this land. I'm going to give it to you, and you're in your family. So if famine comes, what does Abraham do? He just leaves. He just leaves. The very land that God had just promised him, he bails. So if we're to rank his trust in God at this point, it probably wouldn't be very good. Two, maybe three, I don't know, maybe not even that. But it's kind of like this. I don't trust God to get me through this famine, so I'll head elsewhere. I don't trust God to protect me while I'm here, so I'll tell this lie to protect myself. He blew it. But God responds by keeping his word, protecting Abraham, and showing him grace. Uh, we see that um, not only does Abraham get back to the land, but God blesses him in spite of his mistakes. Did you notice when Pharaoh kicked him out, he said, just keep all the stuff I gave you? Just, just go ahead and keep it. Just get out of here. But in, in the very beginning of 13, it, it says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him. Um, and then if you jump down to verse 4, it says, The place where he had made an altar at first. So he goes back there, and it says, And Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. There it is again. 
So God kind of uses this event in his life to kind of get, re, get him reoriented. He gets him back where he's supposed to be physically, back into the land. And he also gets him back to, to worshiping him, to, to focusing on him, to trusting him. And so, you know, if Abraham were to ask that question, what's God trying to teach me about who he is? What's he trying to teach me about what it means to follow him? We could probably put a whole lot of things. We could say, well, he learned that God was gracious. He learned that God was trustworthy. He learned that God was looking out for him. Um, he learned that following him requires trust, even when it might not make sense. Uh, that following him isn't just a sometimes thing. It's, a, it's an all-the-time thing. And so I think as we go out, you'll see that Abraham, he, he's starting to learn. He's starting to learn who God is. So the challenge to us, I think, is this year, when you fail, when I fail, are we willing to ask God, what can I learn about you and what it means to follow you? Are we willing to ask that question? Well, another thing that God uses to teach us is, I know this sounds really like ominous, but call it life's disasters. Sometimes we get hit in life with situations that are just out of our control. We didn't ask for them. We didn't plan for them. We can't control them. They just happen. Um, things like health problems, uh, financial difficulty, family situations, um, issues at work. You know, perhaps as you think back on 2018, you can think of some examples of that in your own life. Perhaps you're in the middle of one right now. And a little bit later in Abraham's life, this is what he faced. In chapter 14, we're not going to read through the whole thing, um, but he's just going about his business. Uh, when he's hit with the tragic news, his nephew Lot and his whole family have been taken prisoner uh, as, as prisoners of war, taken captive as prisoners of war. Now, where they lived, there were a lot of these like nation-state things going on, and there's these different kings, and sometimes so-and-so would get upset at so-and-so, and they'd kind of team up with each other, and they'd try and take over their land, and so these guys would team up, and they'd kind of fight back. And so that's kind of what was happening here. And what had happened was the area of the city of Sodom where Lot lived, it was overtaken. And one of the kings kind of just decided he was going to take some people back with him as captives. And so immediately, Abraham responds to this. And he, he gathers up the fighting men in his company. And the Bible tells us it's just over 300 guys. And he pursues uh, the captors. Now, we don't know how big the other army was, but probably bigger than the one that he had. So that night, he, he divides his forces, he launches a surprise attack, and he, he runs off the invading army. And so Scripture tells us this not only allows him to save Lot and his family, but the other people as well, and he's able to bring back all the goods that they took. He has this kind of strange conversation with these other kings where um, he, uh, they basically uh, say, Hey, are you going to keep the stuff? And he says, no, I'm not going to keep any of the stuff because I don't want anybody to take credit for what I get except for God. And so, um, but what I want us to see, and I think our, our, in our Bibles we have these chapter breaks, right? So we have chapter 14 and chapter 15. But at the very beginning of chapter 15, after all this takes place, it says, after these things. Well, what things? Well, the things that I just kind of summarized that are in chapter 14. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and said, fear not, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. And sometimes I think we miss the connection because, well, we stop reading at the end of chapter 14. But God says, comes to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to be your shield. 
Well, what does a shield do? A shield protects, right? A shield goes out in front. And so I think Abraham just saw that in his life. He took this, the, his troops and he went after this bigger army and, and God gave him this victory and God comes back behind him and he says, see, I'm telling you, I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to look out for you. Remember that promise I made? Those who persecute you, I will, I will curse. Remember? You start to see that uh, coming as a reality. You can trust me. Um, Abraham, he didn't ask for this situation, did he? Uh, this isn't something he brought on himself. It just happened. He didn't choose it, but God used it to teach him about who God is and about what it means to follow him. So this year, if disaster hits in your life in some way or another, I encourage us all to ask the question, okay, God, what can I learn about you and what it means to follow you? What are you trying to teach me through this situation? So God teaches us through a lot of things, invites us to a personal relationship, uses our own failures, takes life's disasters, and he turns those and uses those for his glory. But he might interact with us in another way. He might just show up and do a miracle. He might just show up and do a miracle in your life. In fact, I'm convinced he's doing miracles all the time. We just miss him a lot. We just miss what he's up to. But God can do miracles. He does do miracles, and he might just have one come in your way. We'd all take that, right? Say, hey, do you want God to do a miracle in your life? I would be the first to raise my hand. Yes, please. Yes, please. I'll, I'll take the first one, right? Well, here's the thing about it, though. A miracle is always preceded by a problem. Miracles always preceded by a problem, right? Well, here's a question for you. You have any problems? Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I do too. Well, every seemingly insurmountable problem that you face this coming year is just an opportunity for God to show up and show himself big. It is. It's just an opportunity for God to show himself real. And that's exactly what he did in Abraham's life. When we looked uh, in chapter 11, we're introduced to Abraham, we're introduced to his family, um, we get his wife's name, and then we're told one other piece of information about her, right? Do you remember what it was? That she was barren, that she couldn't have any kids. And Pastor Steve talked about it a little bit last week, but that was a major um, negative in their society. It was kind of like uh, God was cursing you, they would think sometimes, or just, man, that was kind of the woman's job was to have kids, and you can't even do that. What are you, what are you worth was kind of the way that they would think of it, um, so this pro- they've got this, this family problem, and then this problem is complicated because God continuously comes along, and he promises Abraham that there's going to be a nation of people who are born to him. Like, okay, God, but this is the situation, and this is what you're saying, and I don't quite understand. You're, you're saying I'm going to have all these descendants, like as many as the stars in the sky and as many as the sand on the seashore, but I'm like at zero. I don't have anybody. Not to mention, they're getting old. I mean, they're, you know, 75 and 65 when we meet them, and it just keeps going up from there, right? Keep having birthdays. And so they, they didn't think it was possible. So at first, Abraham thinks, well, God must be talking about one of my servants. Like, so if somebody didn't have kids, didn't have family, then sometimes they'd take one of their servants, and that would kind of be their, their heir, the person they would pass things down to. And God said, no, no. I'm telling you, there's going to be, you're going to have a son that's born from you, biologically yours. And so they think, well, okay, but 
we're like older, and Sarah especially is past that, that childbearing age, so, oh, we have an idea. I'm just going to sleep with one of the servants. I'm going to have a kid through her. This was Sarah's idea, okay? So they did. As you can imagine, that caused a lot of problems, right? That caused a lot of problems. So eventually, God comes along, and he says, okay, you guys aren't quite getting this. Chapter 17, verse 15, God says, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you should no longer call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And so God comes along, and he makes the promise very clear, and he says, okay, yes, it's going to be your child, but it's also going to be Sarah's child. You two, the two that are married, you guys are going to have a son. Seems impossible. They, they laugh. When Sarah hears the news, she laughs. Guess what happened? Chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, which, by the way, means laughter, because they laugh. And so what happens? Happens just as God says. God did a miracle, right? God showed up. He took this impossible situation, or seemingly impossible situation, and he made it happen. So what did God teach Abraham about himself? Uh, again, the list could go on. He's faithful, he's powerful, he can do anything, he's trustworthy, on and on and on. So this year, when God does a miracle in your life, ask God, what can I learn about you and what it means to follow after you? The last thing I want to look at that God uses is tests. Sometimes God gives us tests. Uh, Sometimes God brings tests of our faith. Now, We might be tempted to think that if God brings us a test, that it's about seeing how we do. And in part, that might be true, but ultimately, God wants us to use those things to teach us more about him. It's not ultimately about us. It's about about him. Reveal himself to us in an amazing way. So some years later, chapter 22, verse 1 it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. So God comes and he says, okay, take this son, take Isaac, who I promised you would have. You didn't think you could have. Then I showed you I could do miracles. So take this miracle son and take him and offering, offer him as a burnt offering. So kill him. An offering to me as an act of worship. What? That, that doesn't make any sense. God, what? not only is that, you know, craziness, that seems to go against everything that you have previously said. It, go, it goes against your promises. It, it, how could those two things go together? But if you know this story, uh, you know what Abraham does. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, settled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. They cut the wood for the burnt offering. And arose and went to the place which God had told them. And so they, they head out. 
They head out to go. They travel three days. Three days, they, they see the mountain where God has shown them. They climb up. He builds the altar. He gets the wood ready. He takes Isaac. He puts him on, he puts him on there, and he, he raises the knife, and he is ready to kill his son just as God said. What happens? God, but God stops him right at the last second. God shows up, and he stops him. And right there, just, just over uh, in, a, in a bush is a ram caught. And, and God says, don't sacrifice your son. I'm going to have you sacrifice this ram instead. And as Abraham worships uh, together there on that mountain with his son, um, look at verse, uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Oh, there it is, verse 14. So they build this, or they, they put the ram, they offer it as a burnt offering. It says, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. He had never used that name before. Why? Because God showed him something new about himself. God showed him something different about what it means to follow God. And his son is right there with him. He's passing that lesson on to him. So this year... If God brings you a test, ask God, what can I learn about you? What can I learn about what it means to follow you? And so I know we've kind of flown through Abraham's life here this morning. And again, the point was not to see those individual stories, but just to see this overarching theme in his life. So there's so much more we could dig into and we just don't have time. But um, it's about how God wants to use life to grow us. It's about how God wants to not just use anything, but use everything that you're going to experience in 2019. Everything that I'm going to experience about in 2019 to help us know him more and, and what it means to better follow him. We saw this guy who was at first knocked off track, right? As soon as trouble came his way, fear got in the way. Uh, he was following his own ideas, running off, leaving the land, lying, all these things, and then at the end of his life, we see he's willing to take his son in a situation that doesn't make any sense, and he's willing to put his trust in God and act in that way. How do you get from there to there? Growth. Event after event after event, we learn that much more about God. Now, was he perfect? No. He, he lied again in the middle of his life. So was he perfect? throughout? Absolutely not. But I think we see, we see growth um, uh, just another example of kind of where he was at the end of his life. Uh, when, when his wife, Sarah, dies, he still hadn't possessed any of the land. And he goes and he buys a cave. And that's where he buries her. And that's the very first inkling of that promise coming true. A little later on, Isaac has grown up and he's looking for a wife. And they want to they take a wife from his own family. And so uh, he sends one of his servants to go get a wife. And he says, well, wh what if... What if she's not willing to come? Should I take your son and should I, should I take him to go get her? And he says, no, don't take him out of the land. This is the land that God has promised to our family. And, and so he didn't. And from what we know, Isaac never stepped foot out of, out of the promised land. And so not only did Abraham learn from those mistakes, but he was able to help his son uh, do the same thing. So how does that transformation take place? Well, Abraham allowed God to use the things he faced to just continually grow him time after time after time. Over the years of his life, God transformed him into a man of faith. Not because Abraham was so great, but just because of the way that he allowed God 
um, to grow. So as we transition from 2018 and we look toward 2019, we can't control it. We don't know what this year is going to hold. But I think what we can control, what we can do is just say, okay, God, whatever comes, I want to ask the question, what is this teaching me about who you are? What is this teaching me about what it means to follow you? And I don't want us, I don't want us to miss this. Every single one of these growth periods in Abraham's life, and there were a lot more than what we talked about today, they involved a conversation between Abraham and God. It involved them going back and forth. It involved God sharing something with him, him talking back. Sometimes he said some dumb things. That's okay. God would correct him. God guided him. And so if nothing else, if nothing else, spend this year having conversations with God, letting him share things through spending time in his word, by being here, hearing it spoken, by, by praying and just talking to him, by sitting quietly and just letting his spirit um, bring things to our mind and bring things to our heart and prompt us. Because all these lessons that Abraham um, learned, they involved a conversation back and forth between him and God. Sometimes it was before the event. Sometimes it was after. Sometimes it was both. But it was just this constant back and forth and spending time with him. Abraham would have never grown like he did had he not been regularly just conversing and spending time with God. Well, Charles Swindoll, if you're familiar with him, once said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. So let's react by just letting God grow us no matter what comes our way in 2019. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. And God, just thank you for the story of Abraham. I know we, we flew through it so quickly today. But God, I pray that we would just see that in his life he was just constantly growing, constantly learning about you and who you were. God, constantly learning what it meant to follow you, and to walk after you, and to live for you. And God, I pray that no matter where we're at here this morning, uh, whether we would say, well, I don't have a relationship with God at all, or whether we would say, God's really grown me a lot. God, that we just start where we are. And God, you took a, you took a man who didn't even know you, he was worshiping something else. God, and you, you transformed him into a faithful man that we all look up to. But God, it wasn't because of him, it was because of you. And so God, I pray that that would encourage us that no matter where we are today, uh, that you have a plan for us. And God, if there is anyone here who doesn't know you, that even today they might begin that relationship with you. And God, for those who do, that we would just be constantly seeking to grow, to learn more about who you are and what it means to follow you. And God, I pray that you just help us to have that mentality, help us to have that focus as we head into this new year. In your name, amen.